Welcome to the National Native Network podcast series. Today we're presenting our webinar archive, Exploring New Trends in Tobacco Policy and Use in Indian Country, presented on October 20th, 2021. To view the webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org, and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Please enjoy our presentation. Hello, my name is Mike Willette with the National Native Network, a program of the Intertribal Council of Michigan. Welcome to the NNN webinar series on cancer risk reduction in Indian country. This webinar is titled Exploring New Trends in Commercial Tobacco Policy and Use in Indian Country. At this time, we will throw it to Bernard Garcia for an opening prayer. Uh, thank you. Please stand, if able, and join me for this uh, opening prayer. Thank you for asking the Karis consultant uh, to share words of prayer in our ancestral Akama Karis language. Please stand. Tani, <laughs> We thank you, Creator, for gathering all of us today for this important event. We acknowledge our indigenous ancestors who left us with these special prayers using the Karish language. Thank you for keeping everyone safe and for each mind and heart that fills the presence of this room or space. Only you, Creator, truly knows what we are setting out to accomplish today. We have an idea, a vision, a plan, our goals to accomplish the purpose of this meeting. We have all our talents, abilities, and skills to work together. Only you can see the perfect detail, the end of every beginning. We cannot do this alone. We ask for your blessings of strength and guidance. Bless all those present and those attending virtually continue to provide us with confidence to work together effectively and efficiently so we can make every moment count. We ask all these in your name, amen. Thank you. Mike, back to you. Miigwech, thank you. This technical assistance webinar
is being hosted by the National Native Network, which offers technical assistance and resources for commercial tobacco and cancer prevention and control throughout Indian Country and the Indian Health Service Clinical Support Center. Your presenters today are Ken Foster, Director of Operations at the Mechka Marketing Research and Consulting. Andrew Klebenow, a partner with the Casinos Consultants Consortium, C3 Gaming. Clinton Isham, Trouble Relations Consultant for Americans for Non-Smokers Rights Foundation. Josiah Concho, Project Coordinator with the CARES Community Health. And Hannah Bartol, Program Manager with the National Native Network housed at the Intertribal Council of Michigan. We're pleased to offer continuing education units for participants in this webinar. No commercial interest support was used to fund this activity. This activity is designated one contact hour for nurses and physicians. And to obtain a certificate of continuing education, you must be registered for the course, participate in the webinar in its entirety, and submit a completed post-webinar survey. Surveys will be emailed to everybody within 24 hours after today's presentation. Your learning objectives and outcomes for today. At the conclusion of this webinar, the healthcare team will be able to examine current AIAN commercial tobacco use rates, and new data reflecting tribal casino smoking preferences, build coalitions and engage with both tribal communities and leaders to influence commercial tobacco public health policy, and implement effective community smoke-free policies that reduce the health risks associated with commercial tobacco exposure or use. If you have any questions during today's presentation, please type them into the question box at in the Zoom platform. Questions will be answered during the last few minutes of the webinar today. And at this time, I will transfer keyboard and mouse to Hannah Bartal. Hello, everybody. My name is Hannah Bartal. I'm the program manager for the National Native Network, housed at Intertribal Council of Michigan. Um, so we're just going to do a quick overview of commercial tobacco rates among American, American Indian Alaska Natives. Um, we're going to talk about some of the current numbers that we have and then sort of how we got to those numbers. There we go. So the commercial tobacco abuse impact amongst Native Americans is some of the highest um, in the nation amongst ethnicities. Um, it is a leading, leading cause of cancer death among American Indians and Alaska Native population, um, which ultimately leads to lung cancer. So the this high commercial tobacco use is um, directly affects Native Americans at disproportionate rates um, amongst American Indian and Alaska Native population. It is linked to six of the eight top death causes of death for this population. Um, uh, so you can see the sort of infographic that I have placed on the place on your screen. Um, and then we're going to talk about how we got to those rates, which we 
Uh, I got to those by using the AIATS or the American Indian Adult Tobacco Survey. This survey is really focused on monitoring the um, culturally appropriate methods, which include in-person interviews conducted by trained community members within your own community that recognizes the commercial tobacco abuse. The AIATS is used by tribes and different tribal organizations to really get to know the attitudes, the beliefs, the knowledge that their community members have about commercial tobacco use. So this includes the smoking status, secondhand smoke exposure, sort of what it is, and other tobacco product use, including, including uh, vapes and e-cigarettes. We use a couple different ways to approach this uh, sort of survey. We are always making sure that we're being culturally competent within our survey, um, that we address the specific needs of the specific community that wants to do this survey. So it's really based on regions. Um, the commercial tobacco abuse prevalence rates, they do vary amongst the uh, entire American Indian Alaska Native population, but the Southwest being a little bit lower than the Northern Plains uh, rates. Uh, this is also tribal specific data. So like I had kind of mentioned before, getting the AIETS uh, to your community um, is sort of a, it's a process, but you can do it. And we have things on our website at keepitsacred.org that help you sort of get that to your community, how you can advocate for it, how you can really sort of make a change to your community and how we can lower the rates of commercial tobacco use within the American Indian Alaska Native population. So I am going to throw it over to Josiah from Karis. Hello, so my name is Josiah Concho. I am the project coordinator for Karis Community Health. Today specifically, we'll be focusing this section on addressing smoke-free spaces within tribal communities. So to briefly introduce our project, Smoke Free Signal does provide commercial tobacco prevention and awareness in New Mexico, specifically serving Native American communities such as Pueblos, nations, and tribes. Collectively, we do advocate for a smoke-free environment and policies in tribal communities to protect from the dangers of secondhand smoke. In addition, our program does partner with various organizations and tribes by providing presentations, trainings, technical assistance, and funding in the forms of mini grants. So within our presentations and trainings, we do share a brief overview of commercial tobacco products and the potential effects they may have. But overall, we do emphasize why smoke-free environments matter. It is also important to note that we do also encourage communities to include e-cigarette use in their policies to protect from secondhand aerosol as well. In smoke-free environments, there is a significant improvement in air quality. Health status is improved for those within the spaces the policy affects. Secondhand smoke causes numerous health problems in adults and children. So smoke-free spaces decrease the chances of ear infection, asthma, respiratory diseases, stroke, and death. And additionally, we do also explain that the implementation of policies include protecting all workers and patrons from the danger of secondhand smoke, reducing death and diseases associated with secondhand smoke, and also to encourage others to quit smoking. So now that you have a good understanding of the value of smoke-free spaces, um, now I want to move on to policy in tribal communities. Whoever the audience, whoever the audience may be, whether they are a tribal member or tribal leadership, we want them to relate to the policy. So by taking policy development in a grassroots manner, it puts into perspective how much influence they may have for the, the health of their family and community as a whole. 
So starting with the individual level, we can look at this as making rules for yourself, like choosing to prepare healthy meals instead of eating takeout during the week. Second, we have family. An example of this could be not allowing visitors to smoke in your home or car for the protection of your family. Third, we have community. An example of this could be ensuring all events that occur in the tribal community are commercial tobacco free. Pre-COVID, this may have been celebratory festivals, feasts, and other cultural events. Finally, as for organization, this could be smoke-free and bait-free spaces at work or school and or designated smoking spots that are far enough safe distance from the organization's building. Uh, when presenting, we continue to look at a policy. We continue to look at policy in a variety of contexts, such as creating one that is culturally appropriate, promotes health and wellness, and most importantly, protects your community and loved ones. Smoke-free signal does use a policy called INSPIRE, which is an acronym to help get started on policy development or advocacy. So INSPIRE is labeled as information, navigate, strategy, purpose, improvements, reward, and encourage. So with us specifically with smoke-free signals, a way we as organizations have reclaimed policy is by providing resources and technical support to those passionate about making a difference in their community through commercial tobacco intervention and secondhand smoke protections. Specifically, the Community Health Leadership Program was established by the Smoke-Free Signals Program, which provides mini grants to various tribal communities. The purpose of this funding is to support individuals or organizations striving to create a change in community, in their community, and also in commercial tobacco control and prevention. In addition, the Community Health Leadership worked with 18 tribal communities in the state of New Mexico, including multiple tribal serving organizations. One of our Community Health Leader champions are the Community Health Representatives from the Pueblo of Zia. Um, their, group, their group, Diane Shehey, Judith Gachipin, and Vernon Saiz represent the Pueblozia. Their dynamic work for their community translated to ensuring signage on all tribal buildings and playgrounds. Their signs listed no smoking within 30 feet, which actually goes beyond the New Mexico state recommendation at 25 feet. So kudos to them. Um, finally, this year was a challenge, especially in the public health field, which I'm sure we can all resonate with. Due to this, many tribal communities were disproportionately impacted and closed their communities to the public. Uh, as a result, many events like health fairs and conferences were either canceled or postponed, including the pause on networking and collaboration with others. Through health education events, we were forced to pause. Um, we we're forced to pause. We recognize the need of commercial tobacco control now more than ever, too, as well. Well, we know that the coronavirus impacts the respiratory system, exposure to commercial tobacco and aerosol does irritate the respiratory system and causes reduced lung function. So collectively as a team, we did decide that the community health leadership program needed to be implemented virtually this year to continue the important work that we have been doing. Um, but overall, there are many factors and considerations needed to address policy development, but however, by ensuring to engage key stakeholders, community members, and keeping in mind your policy is culturally appropriate and equitable. The policy will continue to protect um, priority populations such as our elders and children and to provide a cleaner environment for everyone. Again, thank you again for joining us today and Clinton, you're next. <clears throat> thank you, Josiah. And um, thank you, Hannah and everybody else for attending um, our webinar today. 
My name is Clinton Isham. I'm from uh, Lac de Flambeau, which is a Ojibwe reservation in northern Wisconsin. And I'm the tribal relations consultant for um, American for Non-Smokers Rights Foundation. Um, going to the next slide. All right. So we're a little early today, which is uh, great because um, you guys are really going to um, enjoy. Um, we, we really enjoy the rest of um, the webinar that we have lined up for you guys today. Um, for everybody that's not aware, there's truly um, extraordinary things happening in the world of tribal tobacco control right now. The purpose of our work and the work that you heard from Hannah and Josiah is it's about building healthier nations. So in order to uh, reduce these disproportionately high cancer rates and cancer mortality rates and all these other preventable diseases that are linked to smoking and secondhand smoke in our indigenous communities that, um, that we just heard about, um, we, we must adopt strong smoke-free policies in our communities because it's proven that strong smoke-free policies will reduce smoking rates. And um, there's a lot of momentum currently right now um, in a lot of the public health field and um, commercial tobacco control and um, due to COVID. And um, specifically within tribal policy, there's a lot of momentum, which is being led by uh, tribal casinos. And um, I know a lot of you are like, whoa, wait, how are they doing that? And um, I said like momentum, like we're piggybacking off of a lot of momentum that's currently just taking place. So prior to the pandemic, <clears throat> there were less than 10 smoke-free tribal casinos in the entire United States. Today, there are over 150. In Wisconsin, where I'm from, um, there are um, a total of 26 tribal gaming facilities. And for a long time, um, Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison in Wisconsin was the only smoke-free tribal casino in the state and the only uh, smoke-free casino in the Midwest, as a matter of fact. And because of this you know, huge shift in public health perspectives, over 85% of all tribal casinos in Wisconsin are now smoke-free. And when we look at that in a different way, we could say that over 23,000 employees in Wisconsin are now protected from the risks imposed by secondhand smoke. So um, something that we wanted to convey in this webinar is that um, what tribal casinos do, it really does matter. And um, the momentum from tribal casino it influences a lot of other businesses and communities to, um, to, to kind of follow suit and um, the tribal, tribal, to follow what tribal leaders are doing. So um, this is true for a lot of commercial casinos who we thought that uh, would never be smoke-free, that are now smoke-free. And in a lot of indigenous communities right now, they're seizing this opportunity um, of, you know, there's a huge favor for public health and for smoke-free policies. And a lot of um, communities are introducing comprehensive smoke-free policies that would protect and cover entire reservations, um, including housing and casinos and workplaces. Um, so this is true for Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. And they're, uh, they're currently in the process of adopting a comprehensive smoke-free policy, which would cover um, two of North Carolina's Harris Casino. 
And then um, last night, after 13 years and many failed attempts, the Navajo Nation policy proponents, Dr. Henderson, uh, Patricia Nez Henderson and Herschel Clark, successfully saw their heirs' life policy pass the Navajo Nation Council. And um, the Heirs' Life Act passing the, the Navajo Nation Council is, is historic. Um, and it was only, it, I think it was only successful because of all the great work that's already been done from a lot of our uh, tribal partners that are in this field. And um, a huge part of it has to do with um, the tribal, all the tribal casinos that went smoke-free this year too. So when I say that, um, what tribal casinos do matters, um, you know, I, I really mean it in that um, a lot of tribal health clinics and communities are uh, putting in place strong protection policies for the first time. And they're getting a lot of support from their community and tribal leaders. And it's just a wonderful thing to see because um, these policies will have um, long-term impact um, for many years to come. <clears throat> so another remarkable thing that's been happening is that um, a lot of major casino organizations such as American Gaming Association and the National Indian Gaming Association are now discussing smoke-free casinos for the first time and their uh, positive impact to the bottom line. Um, so this photo that's up right now, it was taken a few months ago at the National Indian Gaming Associ Association trade show. And there was a panel titled, <clears throat> Smoking in Casinos, Did We Have It Wrong? And I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Mike Metzka and Andrew Klebenau who presented data on smoking preferences that just absolutely you know, blew my socks off. And as soon as I got back from the conference, I knew I wanted to um, invite Mike and Andrew to discuss information on the webinar, on, on any webinar that we, that we were gonna do. So um, I was really sad to hear that Mike, Mike Metzka passed away recently, but his colleague, Ken Foster is here um, from MMRC and he wanted to um, share the information um, that uh, was shared at the Niagara Trade Show um, because it's you know really important to the work that a lot of us are doing today. So uh, first, I'd like to introduce um, Andrew Klebenau with C3 Gaming to discuss um, his thoughts around uh, smoking in casinos and the narrative of uh, smoking in casinos prior to the pandemic and kind of what, how that narrative changed and what, what does it look like today when we're you know, one year and several months past or we're kind of still in COVID-19. Andrew? Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the uh, invitation to participate in this discussion. Uh, briefly, um, as Clinton mentioned, uh, I am a, a consultant for the uh, casino industry. My company, Casino Consult Consortium, or C3 Gaming, uh, conducts uh, feasibility studies, hotel expansion studies, market research and market analysis, exclusive to the gaming industry. Um, I've been involved in Indian gaming for about 20 years. Uh, I've written approximately 105 articles for Indian Gaming Magazine, another 50 articles for other uh, casino trade publications. Um, at the start of the pandemic, uh, I wrote an article for Global Gaming Business Magazine called The Elephant in the Room, which posed the question, does it make sense to continue to allow smoking in casinos during a pandemic? 
Um, as casinos started to reopen, uh, various states took uh, certain positions. Nevada took a position that we're not going to do anything. Uh, we'll let, um, despite the governor's uh, executive orders, emergency executive orders, uh, imposing a variety of restrictions on uh, citizens in Nevada, he didn't address smoking in uh, casinos. Rather, he said it's the, the role of uh, the Gaming Control Board to make that decision. And the Gaming Control Board then punted the ball to the Nevada legislature saying, any change to smoking regulations is a function of the legislature. We'll let them address it. Neglecting to mention that the legislature meets every two years. So in Nevada, we continue to have smoking in casinos. Other governors took a different approach. Uh, New Jersey, uh, when they reopened casinos with uh, limited capacity, uh, put in a smoking prohibition, as did the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and then, curiously, uh, casinos started to open up in May of uh, 2020. Angel of the Winds Casino in, uh, in, in Washington uh, opened up and announced they're going to be 100% non-smoking. And we're going to do so from then on. They decided that uh, this was the opportune time to, uh, to implement a smoking prohibition, and they took the risk. And I'll talk about Washington State in a few minutes. Um, but what happened uh, was I became curious, and you know, being here in Nevada, I um, yeah, being here in Nevada, I wanted to get out and see what was happening in other parts of the country. So I got in my car and drove north to the Canadian border and back. Nice 3,020 mile round trip. And during that time, I visited casinos in uh, Northern Nevada, uh, drove into Oregon, up into Washington State, uh, detoured to Idaho, and then across Washington State uh, on the Northern border, and then back, five, back down Interstate 5 to Washington State and Oregon, back into California to see what was going on. And during that time, I met with clients and observed how each casino was handling, um, you know, how they were addressing the, the pandemic and smoking in the casinos. Um, so I started to take a look more at smoking and I asked some questions. So what did we know about smoking in casinos prior to the pandemic? Well, we knew that a slot machine in a smoking area of the casino makes more money than a slot machine in a non-smoking area. Irrefutable. You can ask any slot director on the planet, and they will tell you that, yeah, no doubt about it, uh, a machine in a smoking area makes more money. Uh, we know that in states that mandated casinos to go non-smoking, gaming revenue declined often precipitously in the first year uh, that these smoking bans uh, were implemented, but recovered in subsequent years. So we knew that you're going to implement the statewide smoking ban, it's going to hurt. We also knew that the percentage of adults who smoke has been dropping steadily over the past two decades, and it stands at 14% today. So that's what we know about smoking in casinos. So as I mentioned, prior to the pandemic, several states instituted bans on smoking in commercial casinos, and all saw declines in gross gaming revenue the first year but eventually revenues recovered. Delaware was the first state to implement a smoking ban. They saw an 11.0% decline in gaming revenue. People from that state who smoke, uh, they went over to New Jersey. 
Illinois in 2008 uh, implemented a statewide smoking ban and they took a significant haircut, almost 21%, because there are options both to the east and west and south for customers to go gamble elsewhere. Customers can go to Indiana to the east and smoke and gamble, or they can go to Iowa to the west or south to Missouri. And so Illinois took a, a significant, uh, so a significant drop in gaming revenue. Then with South Dakota, a fairly isolated gaming community, um, uh, saw a 5% decline in gaming revenue. Uh, but again, that came back. The only option for people living in, in South Dakota was to go to BLT facilities and they already had smoking bans. So that's what we, we knew. What do we think we knew about smoking casinos prior to the pandemic? Well, we thought that smokers made up the majority of gamblers. Again, not a whole lot of empirical data behind this, um, I think if you talk to a slot director or a casino manager, he would cite individuals in his casino who were premium players who smoked and, um, and, and they never wanted to have any kind of restrictions. We thought that smokers gambled more than non-smokers. You, know, you walk through a casino, you see people playing, you see people smoking cigarettes. So we kind of said, ah, people come to the casinos, uh, like to smoke and, and as smokers, and they, they, they're better gamblers. Yeah, that's what we thought. We also thought if we implemented smoking bans in casinos, it would be economic suicide. And if you relied on the data I just showed you, you're absolutely correct. Prior to the pandemic, if you implemented a smoking ban, it would hurt significantly. And no general manager or tribal leader would want to take a, a drop in gaming revenue of anywhere from 5% to 21%. Although a couple of casino operators, in, uh, Native, Native, Native American casino operators did so. Um, we'll talk about them in a few moments. So I started doing some research during the pandemic to understand, you know, what, what did we know? Well, I found a study back in 2006 conducted by Dr. Chris Petros, Petros um, from the University of Nevada, Reno, who examined the percentage of, gambler, percentage of gamblers who smoked in Nevada casinos. So in 2006, we knew that 20.9% of U.S. adults smoked. And as I mentioned earlier, it's now down to 14%. Uh, the study was fairly comprehensive. No, it was very comprehensive. They, uh, uh, Dr. Pritzos's team uh, went to casinos, did uh, a lot of observations, looked at 17,723 different smokers. And what they found was this, that overall in 2006, 22.6% of Nevada gamblers were identified as smokers. 21.5% uh, of those were in Las Vegas. Reno had a slightly higher incidence of smoking at 22.6%. Tahoe, probably because of the more active lifestyle tourists that they attracted, so only 70% of customers smoking. And rural Nevada uh, had a 36.5% incidence of smoking amongst customers, probably more mimicking what we see in rural Indian casinos than we see in the other markets. But again, this was down in 2006, when 21% of US adults smoked. That is down to 14%. So I have to believe that all these numbers uh, are less today than they were back in 2006. All right, that's what, we, that's what we knew. 
So what did we learn about smoking in the casinos, about smoking in casinos during the pandemic? Um, well, what we found out, first of all, was that mass mandates of smoking, they didn't work very well. It became very hard to police mass mandates if you allow smoking in casinos. And so as Clinton mentioned earlier, there are approximately 160 Indian casinos that implemented smoking bans during the pandemic. Uh, tribes and commercial casinos that implemented smoking prohibitions did not see a diminution in gaming revenue. In fact, almost all casinos in all jurisdictions in the United States are now enjoying near record revenues. Uh, what it did was it allowed uh, the pandemic allowed tribes to push cigarettes out of the building with little or no measurable economic cost. Um, and, and since that time, uh, several tribes have already announced that these bans will be permanent. As Clinton mentioned, the Ho-Chunk tribe, the Essex casinos have a banned smoking. They said, we're not bringing it back. Uh, Forest Potawatomi community, operated one of the largest casinos in the country in Milwaukee, said, we're not bringing smoking back. Uh, it's out of the building. We're going to leave it that way. I think the most important thing to learn about smoking in casinos during the pandemic is this last bullet point I have in this slide that says, no cannibalization. So during my drive uh, coming down Interstate 5 from Washington, uh, Canadian border back down to Las Vegas, I got to stop in a number of casinos. And I started at the Silver Reef Casino up north the, towards the Canadian border, non-smoking. Went 30 miles south, went to the Skagit Casino, Skagit Casino, smoking in place, okay? Uh, went further south to the Swidomish Casino, met some colleagues there. They had implemented the smoking ban at the advice of the governor. Um, and they were enjoying excellent revenues. Went over to Angel of the Winds, another 30 miles south of Swinomish. They were the first to announce that they were going to open up non-smoking, and they continued to be non-smoking, and they were packed. Went down to Tulalip uh, and visited the Tulalip Casino Resort and the Tulalip Closita Casino. Both of those were non-smoking. Business was great. Stopped off the Snoqualmie Casino uh, near Seattle. They had reduced their smoking footprint to 50% of the casino floor. Again, you can go 30 miles north to Tulalip, but you know, the customers at that casino for to smoke could go there. They were 50-50 and business was great. And went down to Muckleshoot, same situation. About 50% of the casino floor was uh, smoking to non-smoking and business was great. Go over the peninsula to uh, Shelton, uh, and they were non-smoking. Business was excellent. Went down to Emerald Queen, uh, just south of Seattle, and the two Emerald Queen policy, uh, properties were both fully smoking. Business was great. And went then down to Elane near the Oregon uh, border, full non-smoking ban implemented, and business was great. And so what we saw for the first time was that individual tribes and individual casinos implemented smoking bans and others did not. And there was no real movement of gaming customers because as Ken will dis discuss in a few minutes, the reasons people go to a casino is not because they can smoke. They go, and Ken will discuss the reason they go, is primarily because it's the most convenient place to go. They gamble where closest to their home or where they work or live. And the pandemic 
pretty much changed the rules. Um, people, why they would voice concern, particularly smokers, and said, oh, you're putting a smoking ban, I'm never coming back. The reality is, it came back. Because they don't go to a casino to smoke, they go to a casino to gamble. So, and this is an important lesson to learn, not only in Indian casinos, but in other tribal enterprises. The pandemic has given all casino operators a limited time only opportunity to push smoking out of the building at no economic cost. All the casinos that I mentioned to you along my I-5 trip had robust business, saw no diminution in gaming revenue, whether they had smoking bans or they did not. But those that pushed cigarette smoking out of the building did so at no economic cost. Customers understand that there is a pandemic out there and smoking indoors probably does not promote a safe environment. Now, eventually, all casinos will have to implement smoking bans. It's just the way the trend in, in, in the world is going. Smoking is getting pushed out of every building. Uh, casinos can do it now during a pandemic with mass mandates in place at no economic cost, or they can do it at some time in the future at some no unknown economic cost. And so my advice to participants and observers of this webinar today is, you know, look at all the enterprises that are, that you have on the reservation and ask yourself, okay, where can we push smoking out of the building off property um, today? And, um, and if you do so now, it doesn't cost anything. If you wait, and people will wait, um, It'll cost. We don't know what that cost will be, but I can tell you any casino operator that chooses to um, to wait and implement smoking bans later on, after the pandemic is over, after mandates, mask mandates are over, we'll feel it. But now, free pass. So those are my comments that I wanted to share, and I wanted to now turn this over to Ken Foster, Director of Operations at uh, MMRC. Ken. Uh, is an outstanding researcher, and his uh, his boss, Mike Matchka, a dear friend of mine, and a colleague who I've worked with for over 30 years, and the foremost market researcher uh, in casino gaming. Uh, Ken will talk about the research that he conducted. Did in fact conduct uh, research into consumer trends during the pandemic and their attitudes towards smoking, and. Um, Ken, I'm going to let you take it over and have you walk us through the methodology and the results of your survey. All right. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, thank you all for being here today and for allowing me to present our uh, casino smoking survey. Um, let me see something here. Trying to, trying to pass this along. Um, the first thing that we need to understand is why this uh, survey was conducted. And Mike, it doesn't look like I have control of the um, of the PowerPoint, but um, there we go. As you know, in uh, March of 2020, the country was on the beginning stages of the COVID-19 pandemic and non-essential businesses, including casinos, were forced to shut down. Um, upon casinos reopening in May or June, there were mass mandates in place and smoking was prohibited 
in many casinos to both keep masks on their customers and to limit the spread of the disease. Um, after mask mandates were lifted, casino operators who had been seeing record revenues, as Andrew was stating, um, had to decide whether to allow smoking back into their casinos. Uh, this study was conducted to ask casino customers their feelings towards smoking in casinos after the uh, COVID-19 shutdown. So let's see, I still don't have control. So if you could skip it, Mike, to the next one. <clears throat> Our company, MMRC, was contacted by several Native American casinos to conduct this study. Um, a survey link was emailed to casino customers who had played with their casino player cards since the casinos had reopened. Um, the survey took about five to seven minutes. Um, MMRC, excuse me, MMRC received uh, about 4,500 completed surveys from casino customers for this study. Um, for this presentation, the data that I'll be showing will be shown in total, and then it'll be shown also by those who identified themselves as smokers and those who identified themselves as non-smokers. Go to the next one. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, while not the first question of the survey, it's important to understand the smoker, non-smoker mix for casinos. Um, in this survey, 27% of casino customers uh, who had returned to casinos stated they smoked cigarettes, e-cigarettes, or vape. Uh, this is about double the national uh, average. So about three of four, or 73%, stated that they are non-smokers. Next one. Okay. So when we asked uh, casino customers what they consider most when deciding which casino to visit, uh, location and convenience is easily the leading decision factor, and it has been forever. Um, that is followed by smoking is not allowed. Smoking is not allowed is considered the leading factor by 23% of non-smokers or about one in four, while only 13% or one of eight smokers consider being allowed to smoke as their top priority for casino selection. So they are thinking about location. They're thinking about their free play. They're thinking about other things besides smoking is allowed before um, or sorry, before smoking is allowed. So if we go to the next slide. Um, when we took into account all mentions and we asked what other, what other things go into your decision to visit a casino, um, location again was the leading factor followed by free play, free casino offers. Um, for non-smokers, smoking is not allowed, is taken into consideration for about half when they're deciding which casino to visit, um, while about 40% of smokers consider if, uh, if smoking is allowed. So we'll go to the next one. All right. Um, <clears throat> we asked these casino customers how they felt about smoking in the casinos pre-pandemic in order to gauge the smoking attitude shift from pre-pandemic to after reopening. Um, when looking at the total sample 
about half felt that smoking was not okay for anyone in the casino before the pandemic. So 48% said that. 64% of non-smokers and only 7% of smokers felt smoking should not be part of the casino experience for anyone. Okay, we'll go to the next slide. Um, the next question asked was how these customers feel about casino smoking now that casinos have reopened. Um, now about 62% of the total sample felt that smoking in casinos is not okay for anyone. While we look at smokers and non-smokers, 21% of smokers now say that smoking is not all right for anyone in the casino, and 77% of non-smokers feel the same way. So we can go to the next slide. Uh, now we'll look at the comparison of, to the feelings of pre-pandemic versus how they feel since reopening. Uh, Pre-pandemic results are on the left-hand side of the graph and the post-reopening is on the right. As you can see, there is about a 14% increase to smoking is not okay for anyone across the board, whether the person is a smoker or a non-smoker. The total sample went from 48 to 64 for smoking is not okay for anyone. Smokers went from 7%, one in 10 to 20%, that's two of five or sorry, one of five, excuse me. And non-smokers went from 64% to 70% or 77%, about eight of 10 people. So if we look at the next slide. So next we asked these casino players if they would prefer to play in a smoking or non-smoking casino environment. Uh, four of five or 81% stated they would rather play in a non-smoking casino. Virtually all 97% of non-smokers would prefer to play in a non-smoking casino. Surprisingly, 39% or about two of five smokers stated they too would rather play in a non-smoking casino environment. And we'll go to the next slide. Um, lastly, we asked why they prefer one environment over the other. Uh, the following responses were from smokers who preferred a non-smoking uh, casino environment. I won't read all of these, um, but I, I actually I can't really read any of them. I'm cut off, but I'll allow you to read these on your own. But uh, these smokers feel the casino is cleaner, has better uh, air, there's no smell. Um, they're also worried about the health of those around them including those working at the casino. And uh, some even mentioned that it was better for them. They obviously don't go home smelling like cigarettes. They are um, smoking less, they feel like when they're in the casino. And it is just an overall better feel for them. So, and we can go to the next slide, which has some more comments that I'll, I'll let you all read. That was what we saw from those who said that they are smokers and prefer a non-smoking environment. So I will pass this back to um, Mike and thank you all for your time. Well, I think um, <clears throat> this last one is mine. 
Thank you so much, uh, Andrew and Ken, for your presentations. Um, I think a big takeaway from me, from what I heard, was that um, people prefer smoke-free casinos, and even smokers prefer smoke-free casinos. And um, in that, uh, because of the pandemic, um, everything is different. Nothing is the same. And so um, what I was hoping with this webinar and with the information that Ken and Andrew provided everyone was that you know, we, we have enough information um, from, you know, from health perspectives um, and from, you know, industry uh, consultants that we can have these types of conversations in our communities with tribal leaders and, um, and casino leaders that uh, smoke-free casinos earn more money and they save lives. And, um, and we have the, the data and the information to, to back this up. And, um, I was hoping that, you know, everything that was discussed today, um, you know, it, it, it's all connected with each other. You know, what casinos do really does matter. And the work that we've done in tobacco uh, control for many, many, many years has mattered too. And Andrew discussed that in his presentation that, you know, in these casinos, they're seeing less and less smokers coming into their casinos to a point of, you know, it's at, 14% or less um, across, uh, across the United States, uh, the average across the United States. And so it's like, that's the work of um, policy uh, control. And that's the work from all of us in public health. And I think, you know, with uh, this additional information, you know, we can continue helping each other, especially in the gaming industry. And, you know, uh, congratulating uh, smoke-free casinos and and you know, really praising them for being um, clean, healthy, safe places for people to come in and and, and spend their money and enjoy their time, and um, you know, just to visit these places and really um, just appreciate them for what they're doing for um, public health and for their people. And um, so, uh, I I hope that was a good uh, summary of everything that we talked about today on the webinar and. Looks like we have close to 10 minutes for questions. And um, so we'll have Ken and Andrew and Josiah and myself available for um, questions. If you guys want to put on the chat box. Clinton said, if anybody has any questions, feel free to post them in the Q&A box. Um, first person says, can you post the infographic? Uh, the infographic will be a part of the archive of the webinar. The webinar is going to be archived um, under our webinar archive tab at our website, keepitsacred.org. Uh, this person here says, will this data be available to share or disseminate eventually? Thanks for all of your work on this, exciting stuff. Um, yeah, so again, we're gonna archive the webinar. I don't know if uh, Ken or Andrew or anybody has any additional information, but their contact is on the screen. Um, did you wanna add anything to that? Um, and then this person here says the CDC has put out recommendations about using people's first language, or using people first language, people who smoke or people who use tobacco instead of smokers or tobacco users. Uh, what do you, um, Clint, Josiah, or Hannah, think about using people first language for people who smoke? I don't know if Clint or Josiah want to take that. What is 
I'm trying to look for that question. Can you reread it? Yeah, it's in the Q&A box. Um, it says the CDC has put out recommendations about using people first language. So people who smoke or people who use tobacco instead of saying words like smokers or tobacco users. What do you uh, think about using people first language for people who smoke? Just about um, yeah. I'm all for it. Uh, the CDC used to have a, uh, a group of uh, indigenous, an indigenous group called the Tribal Public Health Think Tank, Think Tank, which I used to be on. And um, we were a group that um, I don't necessarily think we advised the CDC, but we did a lot of work to help with uh, educating the CDC. I actually did a, a video with Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison um, with, uh, with funding from the CDC a couple of years ago. So um, with questions like that, you know, I, I don't think like one person could necessarily speak for, you know, all uh, kind of like, this is a big question and it would take a lot of discussion, I would think. And, you know, taking it to different native groups that are um, that are that have advisory roles to the CDC or groups like APHA, you know, that would be my suggestion is to bring those types of questions up to those advisory groups and, you know, let them discuss that. I'd like to uh, address a couple of questions that I'm seeing in the chat. So uh, has the question been considered if the smoke-free casino policies will become permanent and not temporary, but educational info could help with this type of call to action. I think casino operators have to take a look at their profit and loss statements and say, John, revenue is looking pretty good. And, and it's not because we, uh, we continue to have smoke, it's because revenue is doing pretty good. And even with these smoking bans, it's not being affected. There was another question here to panelists. What reasons are some tribal casinos giving for bringing smoking back after months of success without it? Do they believe the smokers will eventually leave despite the evidence to the contrary? Are they just scared? No, I think the answer might be a little bit more nuanced than that. And, I, and, I, and I, again, my, my argument has been, you spent, you've gotten this opportunity to put smoking out of the building. Why are you letting it back in? The governor of New Jersey, followed by the governor of Pennsylvania, uh, beginning of July uh, of this year, reinstituted smoking policies. So New Jersey casinos are having near record revenues the first and second quarter of 2021. And then on July 4, the governor implements or reinstitutes smoking in casinos. For what reason? He had already succeeded in pushing it out of the building. Now he allowed it back in. And he probably had a lot of pressure from casino operators uh, and other uh, supporters of the industry. Um, and he made that decision. In Pennsylvania, the governor there also reinstituted smoking in casinos. And the Parks Casino uh, in Bensalheim, Pennsylvania, the largest casino in the state of Pennsylvania, probably the most successful, continued to implement the smoking ban. So they weren't drawn by, oh, my customer is gonna go now to the competition, I'm gonna get cannibalized. The fact is the cannibalization argument has been proved false during the pandemic as we saw in Washington state, and as we're now seeing in Pennsylvania and other, other jurisdictions. I think what has to happen in commercial operations, particularly when you look at New Jersey and Pennsylvania, is that if the governors are serious about um, protecting the health 
of their citizens during a pandemic. You know, smoking in a casino during mass mandates is probably not the best kind of thing to allow. And yet here in Nevada, we continue to allow it. Um, so in answer to this one question, are they just scared? I don't know if it's fear so much as political influence. I'll turn back over to the panel. This person here says, has the question been considered if the smoke-free policies will become permanent and not temporary? I think we touched a little bit on that already. Uh, what info or resources would help with this type of call to action? I don't know if there's uh, anything anybody wants to expand on with that. I, I, um, from what I've learned, I, I think especially seeing uh, Navajo Nation implement a comprehensive smoke-free policy yesterday after you know, months and months of trial and error and uh, just, you know, coalitions, working with your local coalitions and, um, you know, introducing different types of policy and, um, you know, just being patient with tribal leaders and continuing to push different types of education around this on social media and Facebook so that, uh, that your community members will see it and support it and then you know, have these types of conversations with your tribal leaders and uh, your gaming managers to, you know, consider changing some of these policies and uh, creating permanent uh, smoke-free policies in the casinos. Okay, well, it is four o'clock now. So just to respect everybody's time, our panelists' time and uh, our audience's time here, I think that we should probably wrap it up. We want to thank everybody uh, who presented today, um, Andrew and Ken, Josiah, Clinton and Hannah. And we want to thank everybody that attended our presentation today. Uh, for those that are asking, the webinar will be archived and posted on the website within the next 24 hours. Also, for anybody that attended today's webinar and would like a um, would like to get their continuing education certificates, uh, please complete the post webinar survey, which will be sent out uh, tomorrow. And with that, we will thank everybody for attending, and uh, we will wrap it up for today. Thank you, and we went. Thank you all. Thank you very much. To view the full webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org, and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Thank you for listening to this Webinar Archive presentation from the National Native Network.